Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The man, the myth, the meme. How do you feel about this? Because I feel like Jeff Kaplan for you... What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Watch Time, as we've got a topic that is very uh, near and dear to me this week that I'm very keen to go into that uh, I actually don't think Grace is going to have many opinions on of her own. So it's mostly oh. going to be a lot of listening to me talking and Grace probably pro- prodding That's and asking questions. That's a little bit questions. presumptuous. Well, Although, I don't know, you to might. be fair, I did say to Elliot, I was like, before this episode, I was like, bro, I'm really going to need you to like help take the reins on this one and come up with some topics. Usually we do it together. We do it with Jack our producer. Guys, the inbox is currently sitting at 67 emails, all of which require actioning on my part. It's I love that Thursday. I can hear the anxiety in your voice. <laughs> like the ang- I love that I also haven't opened my email inbox in three days because my policy is if I ignore the emails and pretend they don't exist, then I haven't not replied to I anything. I literally can't do that. Though. Yeah, no, no, it's actually bad. I, that, that policy is not good and it's gotten me in trouble a lot. Even though I'm running so fast this week and I feel like I'm just like literally bouncing between a hundred things every day and it's like mildly frantic I also feel like this is where I have the most energy with work Mm. and I feel like I'm incredibly efficient when I have a lot on whereas some days if I'm like I don't have to do that much today yeah it takes me all day to do not very many tasks do you agree yeah fully when you were in the grind of like daily fortnight uploads a couple years ago and it was just so hectic and there was new content and so many ideas all the time you just get in this flow and even though it's like kind of mad and I'm like low-key anxious right now, it also feels amazing. Yeah, the level of productivity that you can achieve when you're in that zone is incredible. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do today? Oh, just recorded four different videos, edited two of them down into like bite-sized bits of content, managed to actually fully produce a thumbnail myself and do all this other stuff. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it feels very, very good. But then after a while, like you do that for too long and you do burn out. You do. So I can't do it forever, but I can definitely do it for the next two days. And try and get through your 37 unread emails after this podcast. 67, dude. 67. Please. And the problem with your emails is they're not chill emails. They're not just like little replies. They're like, they're big things that are requiring negotiation or in-depth thought or a response. They're not just like little yes and no responses. No, I wish. Which is always unfortunate. But all right, we got topics to get into because the more we talk about your week, the less time you're going to have to reply to these emails. Before we get into my big passionate topic, there is one little thing that I just, you know, thought we'd cover quickly, which is obviously the fact that Jake Paul uh, won his little his little boxing match. Bro, did you pay for it? I did. I, you did. Well, I like I didn't have I didn't have a, I didn't have a choice at the time because I was like on a plane and I was at the airport and I didn't uh. have time to go and like screen share on some Discord thing. Not that I would ever do that because <laughs> that would be illegal and not and circumventing the pay per view system. But um, <laughs> I mean, number one, the show. I couldn't believe how they had Snoop Dogg, they had Ice Cube, and fucking Justin Bieber yeah. performing. 
I'm like, that ain't cheap. No. I was like, that is definitely where my $35 pay-per-view is going. But oh my God, they must have A, spent some money, but B, made some money. $35 USD, that's how much it costs? Yeah. Damn, that's not cheap. No, that's not cheap. That is really not cheap for a digital viewing experience. And with a first round knockout, no spoilers there, but like first round knockout, you're not getting a huge amount of value for money. It's all on over and done in a couple minutes. Yeah, no, literally. And the the service that promoted the whole thing, what was their name again? Trilla. Trilla, yeah. So Trilla that put the whole thing on. I actually found it super interesting to watch because you could tell they were almost embracing the kind of more, and even though there were a bunch of actual real fights that happened before the Jake Paul one. Um, they, they in many ways almost seem to be embracing the kind of less serious side. Snoop Dogg is one of the commentators and he's just up there ranting off about how he's put $2 million on Jake Paul and like how the other guy looks like he's, you know, probably smoked some doobies recently. Like absolutely not professional at all. It was clearly very relaxed, clearly very laid back, but like executed well, but just in a very like meme culture way, which I thought was super interesting. Mm, just I think because that's it's a very different. Really interesting transition to see in the boxing world. I can't believe I just said that sentence out of my mouth. But obviously, I mean, Jake Paul started with like the YouTube boxing fights. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it was really, it was totally social media. It was totally like YouTube culture. That's how he started. And then somehow from there, he was like, yeah, no, I actually want to be a professional boxer. And then the first professional boxing match he did where he was, you know, an under-undercard, he was kind of memed at by the traditional boxing community. It was like, this is ridiculous that this guy is even here. So disappointing for the overall boxing community and that sort of thing. And now it seems as though, and maybe it's because he's generating a shitload of, you know, pay-per-views. They seem to have like gone the other way and fully embraced it. No, I think the core boxing community still thinks it's a joke. I think Trilla, they're kind of like a new server. They're not, yeah. they're, they're kind of newer, right? So mm-hmm. I think this is their way to break into the scene. They're willing to try more different things and go for a different angles. Well, they're leaning into the social media angle. And don't get me wrong. I actually think like when everyone was like, like, oh, Jake Paul won't win. I was like, no, he almost certainly will. Because like Ben Askren, don't get me wrong. He was like a MMA fighter. Incredible. Boxing and MMA. It's it's like being like, oh, I know how to skateboard. So I know how to snowboard. It's like, no, yeah, sure. You've still got a board under your feet, but it's a totally different activity. Yeah. Like just because you can throw a punch in one way doesn't mean you can play in a totally different arena. But the fact is like Jake Paul at a point, He's now been doing boxing effectively nonstop for three years. He doesn't really make as much YouTube content anymore. No. And ever since that initial fight, all he's done is train boxing nonstop, mm. nonstop, nonstop. So he is without a doubt a good boxer. But the real question is, I don't think there's any way around if he wants to keep doing this, his next fight being against a real boxer. Because the narrative yeah. the narrative went like this. It went, the first fight happens. It's a YouTuber boxing match. Everyone's like, Jake Paul wins the fight. And he's like, yep, I'm a boxer. And everyone's like, you're not a boxer. You beat up another YouTuber. Like no one cares. Like yeah. you beat up a random YouTuber, not even an athlete. So he's like, okay, my next fight is against an athlete. He picks a random basketball player. And it's like, okay, well now it's Jake Paul versus an athlete. This guy is an athlete not in any sense in the fighting sense, but he's an athlete. Jake Paul beats him and he's like, yeah, look, see, I beat an athlete. I'm mm. a boxer. Everyone's like, Jake, you, this guy doesn't even fight. He plays basketball. You didn't even fight. Like he's not a fighter. Mm-hmm. That's That doesn't mean anything. So then Jake Paul 
fights Ben Askren, who is a fighter, but an MMA fighter is like, hey, look, now I beat an athlete and now I beat a fighter. Like I, I beat a fighter, I'm doing what you ask. Everyone's like, no, you fought someone who fights a completely different thing. Like you, like they're not a boxer. You're not a boxer until you beat someone who is a very good boxer. So I right. feel like now there's no way that in his, if in his next fight, he's not fighting someone who actually boxes, yeah. then it's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Although on the other hand, you could also say whoever the boxer is that beats Jake Paul, people could say like, oh, well, you didn't even beat a boxer. You beat a YouTuber. No, for sure. But but from the other side, whoever fights Jake Paul is going to get a big payday. So that's why they do it. Yeah. And if they're already proven as a boxer, it doesn't matter if they win a fight. Like they don't need yeah. to prove that they're a boxer. They've already done it. Whereas Jake Paul's the one who's trying to say, no, 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 I'm a real fighter. And to prove that he's a real fighter, he needs to beat a real so fighter. So has he said who he wants to fight next? Uh, nah, not really. I, think, I mean, he's doing all this like dumb stuff. He's like, challenge Conor McGregor, bro. It's like, it's like okay, cool. But like- I mean, the one I'm interested to see, and this is the one that's now been indefinitely delayed because of apparent lack of interest, was Mayweather versus Logan Paul. Oh. Yeah. Really? Logan that Paul was going to happen? Yeah. What do you mean lack of interest? Apparently, From who? Well, that was the rumor. It, it effectively got delayed indefinitely, and the rumor was that it, they claimed it was because of COVID or some other reasons. Apparently, it was because of a lack of interest around Like the fight. a lack of audience interest or a lack yeah. of interest from Mayweather? Or revenue, like uh, how everything's oh. driven. Yeah. Um, no, like Mayweather had signed the contract. Um, Logan had signed the contract. There was a signed contract and it got put off for some reason. Wow. Anyway, though, YouTuber boxing, the saga continues. Not really the um, the kind of side plot that I was expecting to have with YouTube over the last three or four years. Like when it when it first was like, oh, we're going to fight. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's like a funny, like once off little meme, like Jake Paul and, yeah. and or, you know, Logan Paul and KSI punching each other. Like, yeah, why not? It's a fun little side hustle. And it's just become like the biggest sideshow in all of online entertainment, which I'm all, I'm all about. I'm here for. It's very entertaining. And I find the pay-per-view model fascinating. Very. But- our next topic, Jeff Kaplan, the legendary oh. game developer himself, the man, the myth, the meme, as I think one news article I read put it, uh, has finally left Blizzard. How do you feel is- about this? Because I feel like Jeff Kaplan for you has been someone like since your early days of YouTube is someone like you've really looked up to. Yeah. You've always referenced him as like this incredible man that has done so many amazing things. Like I know you've had like a personal connection to his work. Overwatch was always really, really cool for me because like I played TF2 back in the day. That was obviously a game I was close to. Never, but I never got to talk to anyone at Valve, the people who made the game. Yeah. And with uh, Fortnite, obviously like I, I know a lot of people who work on like in the space of the game, but more from like the marketing community side, less the developers. Yeah, Overwatch was really cool for me because that was literally before the game even released, before it even went into beta. I I was lucky enough to get invited to fly out there and play it early. And and they and it, I remember at the time that was the highlight of your career. That was but that was sick. And you know what else? But you know what I think made that really cool. And what I think is one of those things that um that I think is just so, or, you know, maybe was, depending on where this topic uh, discussion takes us, but was so like like classic of Blizzard to do, is I've, I fly overseas like 
pretty regularly when, when there's not a pandemic uh, to, to play games pre-release, right? Like I've done it, did it for yeah. Apex Legends, do it, do it for things all the time. And normally you fly overseas, you get put up in some hotel and then like you've got the person who's in charge of managing all the influences and they get you all on a bus in the morning and they take you to some venue where they've set up like a bunch of computers in a warehouse and you sit down and and they're like, yep, play this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And maybe one of the developers will come and like explain explain how to play the game at the start. Blizzard, when they did Overwatch, literally invited everyone to the Blizzard campus. The computers that we were playing on were set up in the Team 4 offices. Literally, Team 4, um, if I say that, that that's the team that um, develops Overwatch. They've, each team at Blizzard's got a different like number assigned to it. And actually, if you look on the side of uh, Soldier 76's gun, I believe it says Team 4 or T4, which is a mm. reference to that. Anyway, we got to go into their offices all the developers were there and you could see they were genuinely like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what people think. Like when they sit down and play our game, like Jeff was there, you'd literally be going up, just chatting to people, like making friends. And literally I I have so many people on, on team four, both who are still working there and who have now left where I was like, or it was like, I would see them at an event. I'd be like, how are you like how are you doing like literally like run up and like hug them and it was so cool like um having like elements like i don't know like being able to appreciate a gameplay element and like be like oh i know that guy like yeah. i remember i i got I, I was like quite um i really really like the, the one of the guys who developed the the net code for overwatch and i remember playing it when it was in beta and it was on like 250 ping from australia and i messaged him i was like dude this this is incredible like i don't know how you've done this but i feel like i'm playing on like 10 ping when i'm actually on 200 and he was like oh yeah you know that was like something we really focused on so that was really i got long story short jeff uh and honestly like a huge amount of the overwatch development team holds a very special place for me because um they, they were the first developers I ever actually got to really like meet and interact with yeah. and chat to. And you could always tell, and I'm sure this is the same for a lot of developers, but I feel like Blizzard um, managed to a lot of the time have people a lot more like this where they were just so passionate yeah. about what they were building and what they were doing and, and waiting to hear people's reactions. And like, it's not like a lot of people where if someone's like, oh, like I really like the work you did. And they're like, oh, thank you. It's like, no, for them it was like, oh yes. Like yeah. knowing that people were enjoying what they were doing was great. But anyway, so Jeff Kaplan, um, who uh, saw the whole Overwatch development team from start to finish to Overwatch 2 where it is today. Um, he, he saw that team through the Titan disaster, which if you don't know, basically before Overwatch was Overwatch, they were trying to develop a, a new MMO similar to World of Warcraft, but it was going to be more a shooter style MMO. Uh, and it was called Titan and the whole project imploded and it was a huge disaster within Blizzard, like oh. hundreds of millions of dollars down the drain. Um, and Jeff was able to kind of pull the team together, repitch it as Overwatch, and then they greenlit him to develop Overwatch with what remained of the team from Titan. Yeah. So very cool. Um, and apparently that's another little, I'm just going to drop some occasional Easter eggs in there. Apparently uh, the reason why every car in uh, Overwatch uh, floats is because there was some meme on the Titan development team that was like, no cars will have, we like wheels don't exist or something like that. And it just went out of control. Anyway though, legendary developer, Jeff Kaplan, um, who built Overwatch and, you know, is undeniably incredibly talented, has left Blizzard and uh, quite a few people have left Blizzard recently. And I wanted to use that kind of as a catalyst to talk about a semi-interesting topic, which is, and I, I also don't know exactly where this topic is going to go or what the outcome is going to be, but there are three specific developers I was thinking about mainly for this. These legendary developers of the game industry. Mm. 
what's happened, where did they go wrong? Because there are several large, large game developers, which if you were talking about them a decade ago, 10 years ago, it would be with the deepest respect, the like, oh, blah, blah is developing this title. I've already, I've already bought it. Don't even need to know what it is. Don't even, I don't even know what kind of game yeah. it is, but they're developing it. It is like, they've got the Midas touch. Everything they touch turns to gold. I'm invested. Community loves them. It's incredible. Yeah. And um, obviously one, one developer, which I'm not going to go into is Bungie that this happened to, because I just don't, I'm not as versed on the details there. But if you look at, and we'll go surface level a lot, and I want to dive more into Blizzard because mm -hmm. that's obviously one where I know it a bit more. But you had Valve, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Developed- I remember like when Elliot was first getting into YouTube and was into games and the way you would talk about Valve, you mm. just, you were, you were like, Valve is this legendary company. They're amazing. Like they don't play by any rules yeah. and they create the most incredible stuff. You know, how they do it is just insane. Well, I was just going to say, I, I want to preface this before going into each individual one with what I think is interesting because I put some thought into these three different developers, thought about where they went wrong. And I mean, I say this is interesting. It probably doesn't come as a shock to many people. But the unifying factor between all three, which I think is the catalyst and the cause for them uh, kind of losing a lot of that respect and that reputation is money, which is not that interesting on a surface level. But when I think about it, it's even though all three of them, I think, have gone downhill for money, it's for different reasons in each one. And that's what I think is cool. So Valve, they've absolutely gone downhill as developers. Now, the reason... Like this is Valve. They developed Half-Life, one of the most legendary, all-time appreciated game series of all time. Universally praised without question. Uh, they also have developed Dota 2, TF2, Portal. And recently they have effectively ceased developing games. They still have a bunch of people there and a lot of people working on passion projects and maybe they'll announce something crazy in the future. But the fact remains that effectively in the last decade, they have released nothing. I think Dota 2 came out of beta a decade mm -hmm. ago. And since then, other than Half-Life Alex, which is definitely you would put in the niche passion project um, pile, they haven't really done anything as developer. Now, the reason that that happened to Valve seems relatively transparent. They have some of the best developers in the world, but they also have Steam. And Steam, which is the biggest digital platform where people buy games, just prints money. 30% mm. of every sale goes straight to Valve. These developers work for years and years. Yeah. So like you get a company that spends 10 years making a game, they sell it on Steam. Valve, who didn't touch it other than just putting it on their storefront, gets a third of the money. Crazy. Crazy. Valve basically is just printing money. They also have very much a culture of, um, so they have a flat structure in their company, which means there is no one's boss. It's not like you report to you they report to them and goes all the way up the chain to make sure that things are getting done. Mm -hmm. It's very much, apparently you come into valve, you work and it's like, what do you want to do? You want to don't really care. Just That's find, wild. find, find things to do or team up with a couple of people and decide something that you want to do. And maybe you'll end up shipping a game from it. Maybe you won't. I don't really know. Like that's, that's, that's literally it. So because they have made so much money and continue to make so much money off the Steam system. They just have no drive. There's no reason for them to be pushing their developers to actually realize their potential and ship games. Because mm. even if they do ship a game, and let's say it's the best game of all time, it's still going to make them... 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Less money than they would in a week of just yeah. literally having the Steam store exist. So there's no drive there. Now, the next one is Bethesda. And I think Bethesda is so interesting because they have one of the most legendary game developers of that previous generation where they were putting out the Skyrim games, absolutely yeah. revolutionary, Fallout, revolutionary. There was like a shift and also I think a change in expectation, but definitely a shift where for Bethesda, their kind of issue with money seemed to be that they started rushing projects instead of investing the time and the money to actually get a project up to where it should be and where it should stand at release, where it's actually functional. You could tell they were just pumping projects out the door. They were fully uh, changing the way that a game would come together so that it could better adapt to microtransactions. And you saw that with uh, most notably Fallout 76, which is I think the single largest dumpster fire of a game release that you have ever seen. But, and it was almost like, like literally when the game came out, it almost like you turn and you look at them like, the balls on the balls on you to fucking release this really? game. Yeah, no, it was like it was shocking. It was outrageous. It wasn't even like a pre 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 alpha. It was non functional. And I was like, the balls you have to release this, charge seventy dollars, and like and expect that that's going to be okay is insane. But so they've now um, Blizzard's actually sorry uh, Bethesda has had a bit of a streak of releasing very poor, buggy, glitchy games. And I think that they've kind of realized that their strategy of rushing out releases to try and maximize the amount of money they could make uh, actually reached a point where it was hurting their reputation too much. They've gone dead silent on the new Skyrim game they're working on. And I think they are, I think they've probably kind of realized that they need to knock this next one out of the park or their reputation is irrevocably damaged if it's yeah. not already. Blizzard though, Blizzard is more complicated. And I think yeah. Blizzard is a bit harder to really actually pin down. But there's a few things I want to talk about with Blizzard. The kind of going into, for those for those of you who don't know, kind of all the different things that have happened with them as a developer and where everything's gone wrong. So I'm just going to reel off a few of their like game development issues that have happened, for example, like StarCraft, that game just got absolutely riddled with microtransactions. Then um, Heroes of the Storm, was this kind of huge blunder for them where there was the huge um, uh, the, like Dota and the League of Legends trend. And mm -hmm. Dota actually started as a mod for Warcraft 3. Mm. That was one of their games. And Icefrog, who started it, apparently went to Blizzard and said, hey, I've got this super popular mod for one of your games. Like, do you want to help me develop it into a real game? And, and Blizzard literally turned around and they were like, fuck off. <laughs> Literally, they were just like, go away. We Crazy. don't want to talk to you. So then Icefrog went to Valve and Valve was like, um, uh, yes, yeah. let's do this and uh, and made a bunch of money. Huge controversy early on because Valve's game had a lot of the same characters from Dota, which were direct infringement 
on I was going to say, like, Warcraft. have the IP issues. Yeah, there were a lot of that. issues. They had to change some names because of a legal case that Blizzard brought. It was Damn. very... But ultimately, at the Blizzard end of the day... Salty. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Then Blizzard was like, oh, my God, we should have made a MOBA. What are we doing? Which is what Dota is. So then they came in super late with their version called Heroes of the, um, Heroes of the Storm. Yeah. That kind Too of... Late. You know, it's not awful, but it, it really didn't perform super well. And now that's kind of flopped. Um, they then tried re-releasing Warcraft 3, which was the initial um, kind of game that Dota was built on, but like kind of as its own standalone title. Um, and it was a buggy mess, completely just broken on release. I think they've now taken steps to fix it, but there was like obviously where Overwatch is today, the community is very unhappy with. They're not seeing much progress on it. Meta has been not great for a while. And then World of Warcraft as well has had a lot of issues. But I think the thing that really you you look at and you real and for people who know and understand Blizzard as a company, this is where you might not know exactly what is going on internally, but you know it has to be bad. Mm. Because Blizzard, more than I would say any other company I know or have heard of. People work at Blizzard because they love Blizzard. They want to work at Blizzard. Like, for example, I was chatting to a few um, people I know who work there and they were chatting about how, yeah, like they got job offers or we were talking about the game developer job market. Yeah. And they were like, Riot, Riot, who develops League of Legends, yeah. on average will pay probably 20 to 30% more for wow. the same role that you will get at Blizzard. People, a lot of the time, and these guys specifically got offered jobs at Riot, choose to work at Blizzard because they love Blizzard. Because for a lot of people, when they were growing up, Blizzard was the company that was making the games like World of Warcraft, like all the uh, yeah, Diablo. It was, it was the like, that is what you, that's what they were playing when they grew up. They developed so much respect for Blizzard as a company because yeah. of that. And then working for that company that was a huge part of their childhood was a huge drive. Yeah. So because of that, Blizzard retains its employees in almost all cases to a crazy degree. They have these awards that they give out at different year milestones. So I think it's like a year, two year milestone, you get like a Bierstein. Uh, I'm going to get the order of these wrong. I'm very sorry, but just to reel some off, then there's ones at five, 10, 15, 20, and 25. And I think the awards, are something like a sword at five, a shield at 10. Oh, this is definitely where I'm going wrong. Uh, a ring at 15, and I believe at 20, you get like a um, Lich King helmet or something like that. But That's anyway, so the awards are sick. And the thing is like for a lot of companies, if they have an employee reach like 10, 15, 20 years at the company, that's a big deal. That's like, that's like super rare. Whoever works at the same company for that long, like that, that's pretty uncommon unless you're in like financial services and you're yeah. like moving up to partner, but that isn't how it works in game development. A yeah. lot of the time yeah. you specialize in your niche, say um, web yeah, development yeah, yeah, or map design, yeah. and you can shift between companies quite easily. But people who stay at Blizzard, they stay there because they love the company. People stay at Blizzard for a very long time. Most it's like, oh, you left after five years. That was a pretty short stint. But recently there has just been, and I mean over the past three to four years, a mass exodus of so much senior management and leadership from the company, it is insane. And Jeff Kaplan is the newest one of these. So, like, has he made a comment? No, and 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 I also wouldn't expect him to, you know, make a public comment, being like, I don't like Blizzard. Has because he announced his next move? I don't think so. No, he may not make I think a comment would... about why he's leaving. But I think you could read into the fact if he hasn't made a comment saying 
thank you so much for my time at Blizzard. This has been the most incredible I, career experience of my life. Blah, I blah, did. Blah. The fact he hasn't said no, he, like sorry, that. he has made a comment about leaving. Okay, and it was very generically like thankful for my time and the people I've worked with at Blizzard. Right. I remember reading it and I was like, man, that doesn't carry the passion of someone who is leaving a job that they love after. Uh, as many years as it has been for Jeff, which I want to say was about 17. Wow. Um, but also, and I think more importantly, he's leaving probably, I'm estimating, a year before the release of Overwatch 2. Now, he's been working on that for three years. If You don't just – I mean, once again, I, this is all – me trying to read into something where I don't have direct first-person knowledge. I do know a lot of the people involved, and also I'm just applying basic logic. I feel like if you had been working, Overwatch is Jeff Kaplan's legacy. It's his baby. That is the game that he will be remembered for, unless, of course, he goes on to do something even more incredible, which he very well may. He released Overwatch, has been working on Overwatch 2 for probably three years now, and then just leaves a year before it releases. Doesn't sound doesn't sound like that's an exit of I've realized that I've reached my you know potential. the end of my time yeah. at this thing. This is a natural stopping. This is a point. natural stopping point. The natural stopping point is releasing Overwatch two and then maybe saying okay I want a time for change. Yeah. So either a he had some crazy other offer come up that was just too insane to pass up or b things went a bit sour. But to reel off a few names of people who have left Blizzard recently, Mike Morheim, who's literally the founder of the company, uh retired and started his own different company because uh, for people wondering Activision um, actually kind of team like partially acquired. I think technically it was a joining of the companies, but it was kind of like Activision more acquiring Blizzard because they were the bigger company um, about, I want to say eight, nine years ago. Um, And yeah. So because of that, as a founder, he is able to kind of step out of the company. So uh, almost the entire senior development team on World of Warcraft has kind of jumped in the last uh, in the last few years, um, which obviously is like literally the game that founded Blizzard. Uh, ben Brode, who was kind of the man who effectively created Hearthstone and was the public face of Hearthstone, he left as well. Uh, on the Overwatch team, there's been a bunch of people that left. Uh, Michael Chu, who was the guy who built the whole Overwatch story, their lead map designer left, Jeff Kaplan's left. Um, it's it's just been from Blizzard's end, all these employees who were almost like the old guard faces of the company mm. and who were like Blizzard till they die have in rapid succession, more rapid succession, because obviously people leave, but this is a large group of very dedicated core developers who have all left in a very short timeline, all while you're hearing a lot of talk about the culture of Blizzard degrading. And a lot of that, it would seem, um, and you know, this is both from some chats I've had with people I know who worked on Team 4 and also just uh, like the general public sense because a lot of interviews and like private comments have come out of people just saying that the whole- um, Culture. The whole culture of what built Blizzard, which was create- great games and that's literally just it create great games do what you love build incredible things has just completely eroded over the past few years and largely that seems like it is not uncorrelated with the acquisition by activision and now there's just this sudden drive towards um you know like for example diablo one of their all-time most famous ips 
has, you know, if you were building a game for the fans, you would be building the Diablo sequel that everyone's been asking for. But instead, it's released as a mobile game. Now, I'm sure it will be a great mobile game. In fact, I've heard it is. But that is very clearly a decision that has been made at a high level of management to maximize revenue as opposed Mm -hmm. to actual fan service. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people who work on the development teams and I think the community kind of feels right now where they no longer feel like Blizzard is a company there to uh, who is doing things for the fans. They're now a company that is there that is doing things for Blizzard and their top line revenue. Yeah. Um, which is very, very dangerous. But I'm very interested to see what happens because uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's genuinely tough. Um, I feel like it's kind of an overall theme that we've been talking about for the last couple months now, where it's just like mm. what the games development industry looks like and what games development looks like overall yeah. is really different and has taken on this kind of like seismic shift over the last few years that has happened gradually and it's happened with games like Fortnite, this shift to a free-to-play model and this shift to a lot more public attention being on games companies, a lot more games companies listing publicly. Mm. Activision Blizzard is obviously a listed company. It means they suddenly have to answer to a huge amount more shareholders than they did privately when just making great games, which is like a beautiful goal and overall aim to have, but perhaps not what actually shareholders want. Mm. It's like the whole state of the industry has just taken a little bit of a shift from what it was. And I do think it's interesting and I'm not, and, and this isn't me saying that I don't think Epic Games will make mistakes and they very much will do things wrong and not that they um, are themselves flawless, but I do think it's very interesting noting the difference between how Epic conducts itself as a company because it's privately owned, it's not publicly traded. Mm. And of course they have investors like Tencent and people who are invested in the game making yeah. money. But Tim Sweeney is still the controlling shareholder. Overall, Tim Sweeney, this one individual guy who is nothing but a passionate game developer, like we've talked about in weeks before, this guy just wants to make cool shit. Like that's that's what he's about. He actually doesn't care if his bank account says $4 billion or $10 billion. He eats KFC for dinner. Um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but like, so so because of that, I, you know, you've had you've had Epic Games come in and they're undercutting the um, the Steam system when it comes yeah. to charging developers less. They're um, they've deeply shaken up the whole industry. They they have they've had with Fortnite more opportunity than anyone else to make obscene. If they had put loot boxes in Fortnite, oh, go my listen to that conversation from a couple of weeks ago. God, oh, I. Tim Sweeney would literally get the fir- the world's first custom gold-plated Learjet made because he would have just made that much money <laughs> from my credit card alone. Um, but the point is that Epic is, is one of the few developers now that has consistently been able to make these decisions where they are kind of choosing to do the right thing as opposed to the revenue thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that you can very clearly see with companies like Blizzard Activision that now they are publicly traded and there are all yeah. these shareholders. And, and there's this, as as I think you and I, one of our big learnings this year has been, because, you know, we're getting a lot more into like in, investing and like talking with other companies, is this like this whole thing around like narrative where it's oh. like, it's like the narrative, if you're, as soon as you're publicly traded, it's no longer even necessarily about what's doing even like best for a company or, or anything. It's just about 
creating like the feeling of momentum and movement. Yeah. And you're like, and we're growing and we're doing this and now this big thing over here. And then we just sign that with them. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you just want to be able to keep this feeling of momentum yeah. for your shareholders because that's yep. what keeps them happy. Like if you're a game developer who, what the way it used to work, which is, hey, we're going to make a game. Should be pretty good. I don't know. We'll see you in six years. That doesn't work anymore. You no. need to be, You need the shareholders like, what do you mean we'll see you in six years? We're waiting six years. Yeah. We want something now. Put something out tomorrow. And then I want an update the next week. Yeah. And I want a new microtransaction in the week after that. And I want yeah. you to be doing this. And I want signed deals here. And I want you to make a mobile game while you're developing that other game. Like there is so much drive to just go, 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 go. Yeah. That now it is so hard as a game developer to do the whole, like, we're going to make a cool game. We're going to go away. we ready when it's ready. Game. Yeah. Anyway, very interesting. I think that... It's a very interesting time for game development in general because uh, it's not it's not it's not that I think games are necessarily getting worse because I, I I do like obviously like there are incredible games being released all the time right now yeah and and technology has made some crazy crazy high heights of game development achievable now I do at the same time worry about a lot of and, and you know it's kind of sad but I'm sure other companies will rise up as well. But it is, there is definitely a trend that I think started, um, you know, kind of a bit more subtly, but now is completely unavoidable mm. where you look around at all these big developers that are now publicly traded companies and you can clearly map a decline in uh, public perception of the company along with a rise in their stock price. Crazy. So. Kind of sad. Kind of okay, sad. Okay, so where do you think Jeff's going to go? Let's wrap it up on that note. What's I, he going to do? I, if I was a betting man and I had to literally just bet one thing, I think he'll join uh, Mike Morheim's uh, new game development studio because that's oh. actually where a lot of the top Blizzard, it was literally like them jumping ship. It was uh, So a lot of the people that left Blizzard went and joined Mike because Mike was literally seen as like the father. Mike was daddy. He was like, he was loved. He was uh, respected. He was, everyone just saw him as like, this figure from mm -hmm. e from every conversation I had, I got that sense. So I think now a lot of that old guard, and it also seemed like he was someone who also, from everyone I've talked to, Mike genuinely gave a shit about his employees. Like he would, I, I, I talked to so many people who were telling me about these like great in-depth discussions mm -hmm. that they'd had with Mike. And I think that would be, so true with the very like old guard developers like Jeff Kaplan who have been there for so, 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 so long. And they helped build Blizzard alongside him mm. and kind of take it to where it is today. My bet is that he is going to go and join Mike, put it in. I want 10 to one odds because there's a lot of places that Jeff could go. And I'm sure there are a lot of developers who would be writing very large checks to have him join their team yeah. as they should, because the man has done some pretty incredible things. Would he go to Epic? Oh, you know what? Epic, I actually think would fit a lot of the kind of um, his ethos around yeah. game development. But I guess, you know, the real question and where what would be a good place to leave it is what does this mean for Overwatch 2? Because- What is Overwatch without Jeff? I, I was already a bit- uncertain for Overwatch 2, to be honest, because don't yeah. get me wrong, I think the campaign will be fantastic, but I do think that multiplayer is what is going to be the thing that carries the game and, you know, really makes it, it's what gives most games these days staying power. But Jeff's being taken over by Aaron Keller, who is another absolutely incredible developer. I think he's worked um, at Blizzard for 18 years himself. I think that the development developers behind the team are still incredible. I think the only thing that scares me is not what Jeff leaving is going to do to Overwatch, but more just 
what does uh, like what what does Jeff Leaving say about the overall yeah, state of Blizzard? And what morale does that create? Yeah, and what morale does that create? So I think that is a that is a heavy one to lose. Mm. But anyway. Uh, guys, let us know what you what you think in the comments I hope down the, below. Uh, the, the Elliot fans will love this episode because I feel like it was like Elliot's monologue on the state of development in the games industry, mm. which was actually so, like, I learn a lot from that. I, I still, like, development isn't my strong suit. So, I don't know. I feel like people will love hearing that. Mm, very interesting. All right, guys, that wraps us up for this week. We will see you next week. Let us know your thoughts below. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, do the things, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.